We definitely need a rock that is higher than we are. We need the humility that Ethan was talking about, recognizing our need and our uh, inability to to please God. Sometimes speakers, speaker will get up and say, well, today I don't have anything new, uh, and I don't either. Uh, But I would have cautioned against saying that. Let me read you a verse in Galatians 1.8, this little bunny trail at the beginning. <clears throat> Paul's talking here. It says, But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. So hopefully there's nothing new this morning. If there is, you get up and shout and shut me down because I don't want to be accursed. <clears throat> I'll I taught my students to listen with a critical ear, uh, whether it's at school and the teacher's talking, or it's at church and the preacher's talking, uh, or they're reading or you know, watching something online. Filter everything you hear through what you know already. And think about, does what I'm hearing mesh in with what I think I already know? <clears throat> if it doesn't, a couple options could be true. Either my knowledge is incorrect, I need to re- re- revise it, or else what I'm hearing is incorrect. And I should actually find out which one it is. It's important to know whether I'm incorrect or whether what I'm hearing is incorrect. Uh, and I um, realized I had taught really well. <laughs> uh, one day I was explaining something and somebody popped their hand out and said, yes, that's not true. <laughs> so, oh, okay. <laughs> that's what I've been telling, telling you all this, this time. Sure. So, there may be bad, better ways to respond. Like, how can that be? Or what did you mean by that? Rather than jumping up and saying, that's not true. So, um, hopefully we don't have anything new this morning. Hopefully that um, we have same old, same old, the beloved old story out of the um, the Bible, unchanging Word of God, uh, we have no need of anything new. The trouble is, uh, we miss what we do know often. <clears throat> When's the last time you were reading the Scriptures and you came across something you didn't know before, like some new commandment or some new principle? Um, yeah, sure, we do word studies and say, oh, wow, yeah, that's, that's nice, that's clear. Um, but I think in our culture, in our setting here, there's not very much that we don't know. But yet, we need to be washed in the word over and over and over and over again. <clears throat> so that's why we're here this morning. Again, for the 497th time, whatever long you've been going to the church, um, to hear the same story. <clears throat> a few months ago, uh, Ben had a children's class here, and just one little phrase, little, little part of it, stood out to me. I've been thinking about that. He was talking about in their family when 
Uh, a child will bring a message of instruction. It's important to know who said, if you remember that or not. Uh, anybody, why would it be important if your brother or sister comes out and says, um, what's to stop playing if they go start doing our work now? Why would it be important to know who said? Anybody, what does it matter who said? Isn't the truth the truth no matter where it comes from? Any ideas about that? Carries more weight. Okay, carries more weight. Sure. Sure. Who said is is really very important, not only in the family situation, but uh, when somebody is is presenting, presenting an idea, is it uh, as truth? You know, where does it come from? Uh, what's the authority behind this truth? How do you decide when to obey instructions and when to disobey instructions? Uh, many of you obey instructions and disobey instructions in turn throughout your lives. I think we all do. So, you buy a new piece of equipment, and guess what it says inside the front cover? Read and follow the below instructions and precautions for unpacking, installing, and servicing your appliance. How many of you read the manuals before you put together your new tiller or blower or whatever you happen to be buying? What's the manual for? It makes a great little fire campfire starter, you know? <clears throat> um, now, if you have too many leftover parts... Then we go back and look, see where they were supposed to go. Oh, yes. But we choose not to, you know, obey those kind of instructions. What about if the sign on the store says, uh, wear a mask to uh, shop here? So we look around. Hardly anybody's wearing a mask. We just put it in our pocket again. Okay. Uh, so we, we decide whether we want to follow instructions, uh, obey or not obey. Uh, near Harrisburg, there's a nice stretch of interstate, wide open, 55 mile speed zone. And when I've gone through there, traffic is often, most of the traffic, much of the traffic, is often traveling 75 or, you know, thereabouts. <clears throat> so what do we do about that? Do we pot along at 55 miles per hour and everybody's piling it behind you? Or do we go with the flow? You know, what would you do about that? <clears throat> there, I, th- I think that all traffic jams are caused by people slowing down. Whether it's even in the other bound lane of the accident, people slow down. There's a traffic jam sometimes on both sides with no obstruction on the one side because people are slowing down to look. <clears throat> so uh, I'm not sure about the speed limit rules and who makes those and who makes them up. Um, I know they're, they're just posted. <clears throat> uh, but it seems like maybe in a congested area we should be able to move out of the area. But anyway, that's, that's not my decision. Uh, but I want you to think about how do you decide whether to obey instructions or not to obey instructions or even laws? <clears throat> Um, a couple examples in the Bible, and I just 
run over of obediences, disobediences. So think of it in your, in your mind, at least. You can do thumbs up or thumbs down if you like to. Um, was it a good thing or a bad thing that Joseph disobeyed his master's wife? Good thing or bad thing? Okay? All right, thumbs up on that one. Joseph disobeyed his master's wife, probably his boss, while his master was always gone. Uh, Job disobeyed his own wife. Good thing or bad thing? Oh, good. He was, she said, curse God and die. Uh, it'd be good to kind of ignore that piece of instruction. Abram obeyed his wife. Good thing or bad thing? Here, marry Hagar. Well, didn't turn out so well. Uh, and they're still fighting over there. And it probably will till the end of time. Pharaoh disobeyed God. He said, Moses, Moses said, you need to let the children of Israel go, go out and sacrifice. And Pharaoh says, who says? And, God, and Moses said, God said. And he said, who's God? I don't know God. I don't know the Lord. <clears throat> Jonathan, uh, Saul's, King Saul's son, Jonathan, uh, disobeyed his father. They were on a battle, and they were supposed to be running through the woods, chasing people all day long, and Saul had said, don't eat. Uh, I'm not sure what all the reason for that was. Um, maybe some type of a, a fast before the Lord, so God would help him better or something. Um, but it seemed, in, in the situation as it's explained, it seemed to have been a foolish thing to say. <clears throat> Tell your army that you're not supposed to eat today. So Jonathan um, ate some honey he found. Nice little sugar sugar uh, uh, jolt there. And he was um, threatened with death. But the people rescued him. So I would say that was probably a, an appropriate disobedience in that case. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego disobeyed Nebuchadnezzar. Good thing, bad thing? Sure. Good thing? The apostles disobeyed the Sanhedrin. They were told by the law, by the court, you shall not go preach about just Jesus anymore. And they said, sorry. I'm not going to say sorry. They say, we're not going to do what you said. They need to apologize. <clears throat> I want to talk today about authority. <clears throat> so think about what, what is authority. I mean, you, know, you have authority. Many of you do. Depends how tall you are, perhaps. Um, and even some of the shorter ones sometimes have a vested authority to send a message to somebody else to come in, stop playing, it's time for supper. Uh, and authority, of course, ranges from that type of authority, some temporary vested authority, to, to uh, the top. So... <clears throat> There are people who exert power over others. I'm going to differentiate between that and authority. Um, say, for example, children control their parents by doing all kinds of noisy things. Or a kidnapper controls somebody temporarily. Um, they don't have authority in that situation. 
they have power and things happen because of their will. But I'm not counting that as, a, as authority. So authority, I'm describing as the legitimate ability to punish disobedience. Uh, it's not just the ability to tell people what to do, but what if they don't do? See, if you, if you can't fix something that's not being done, if you can't correct the situation or bring consequences, then I think the authority is not there. That's, that's how I'm defining it anyway. Uh, and I'm sure there's variations. Maybe maybe a person doesn't have the resources to enforce the rules, uh, but they would sometimes in some cases. So you can you can pick that apart if you want to. That, that's fine. Authority doesn't depend on whether it's being used well. Um, that doesn't make it legitimate. And you read it, pick up any history book, you can find lots and lots and lots of examples who mis- of people who misused authority from governments to law enforcement to uh, parents to you know, lots and lots of people. But that doesn't take away their authority uh, unless somebody else takes it away from them that's higher up on the ladder. So why would somebody disobey a legitimate authority? Just in a small, in a, in a small way. Why would you decide to oh, so just turn this way? Why would I decide to um, not wear the paper on some in some situation? Well, what I'm doing there is I'm deciding that I have a better idea than they did. That's why I do it. I don't do things that are bad ideas on purpose. I don't just go out and do things that are that are uh, that I think are really dumb and, and useless. Uh, people don't. They, whenever you do something, you think you'll get some type of benefit out of it more than doing something else. That's why you're doing what you're doing. That's why you're sitting here instead of napping at home. So, um, and sometimes that's legitimate. That's good. The apostles knew that they had a better idea of how to preach than the Sanhedrin did. And they valued their own opinion, their own understanding, more than the Sanhedrin's understanding. And they valued it highly enough that they were willing to be beaten. Uh, that's pretty rough uh, in order to follow their understanding of, of uh, what they should be doing <clears throat> compared to the San- what the Sanhedrin was saying. So we need to remember that if we disobey in that way, we need to be willing to take the consequences of whatever the authority wants to mete out. Uh, or else you better just you know, follow, follow the rules. <clears throat> so whenever, uh, sometimes it's called, in our country it's called civil disobedience. People do illegal things on purpose uh, because they want to make a statement um, about that this is a really bad law. Let's all disobey it so it looks really foolish. Uh, or in the disciples' case, they were following a higher authority. But either way, um, whenever we decide we're not going to follow a rule, follow an authority's instruction, we need to weigh, weigh, weigh the, is it, okay, will I be 
will, will God's kingdom, let's say it that way, will God's kingdom be better served if I follow the rule or if I um, disobey the rule and get in trouble for it and all that? Uh, and sometimes we don't think through that very far when we make decisions sometimes. So Adam and Eve disobeyed their authority. And if we read, read the account of Adam and Eve, they began to believe, uh, Eve began to believe, that eating of the fruit was a better idea than not eating of the fruit. She thought there would be a better circumstance, a better situation, uh, if she ate the fruit than if she didn't eat the fruit. And so she disobeyed. Uh, I'm not sure why Adam ate the fruit. Maybe because, yeah, I'm not sure about that. But he's, the Bible says he wasn't deceived. Uh, he, he knew that it wasn't going to be a good idea somehow. Uh, Saul was supposed to wait for seven days to sacrifice before Samuel came. And the, the Philistines was, we're waiting to attack. We're, we're in, in danger of attacking the Israelite soldiers. And Saul decided he's going to, going to go ahead and do the sacrifice because he thought it would be better if I would sacrifice and get God's blessing than to obey Samuel's instruction, his, authority, his spiritual authority's instruction, uh, and wait. But obviously it was, not a, it was not a better situation. So we need to be careful when we disobey authorities. Uh, why are we doing it, and what results are we hoping to get from disobeying the authority, um, and what are the results that, that may happen because we disobey the authority? Um, let me just do a quick little survey here. Um, let's make a list of authorities. Um, the top authority you can think of, just anybody shout it out, please. God, okay? I think this should be retired, actually. All right, anyone, any other authority below God? Like who would you think would be about next? And there's not any you know, certain answer you have to give. just want to get an idea of the hierarchy of authority. Like, are, you, are you below God, for example? In what capacity? Okay, you have an order for that? They're equally... Okay, so in my mind, I think about, okay, if there's a conflict, who wins? That's how I get, get a, a vertical lineup, if we can. That's, that's, that's true. I, I grant you that. Uh, let's just take the apostles' apostles' predicament. When Jesus said, go preach to all nations, and the Sanhedrin said, don't preach to all nations. Who was supposed to win in that case? Obey God rather than man, they said. So, um, right, right. This is getting really complex. I wasn't, uh, I wasn't expecting <laughs> you folks here have thought through this pretty, pretty far. <laughs> Okay, let's just put, I just want to write some things down here. God, oops, govern, 
the government, including local government, um, uh, national government, and then we've got um, church leaders. We've got um, parents. We've got uh, employers. And many of these are, are, are not just hierarchical. Uh, some of them are, are beside, kind of beside each other. It depends, like, like someone said. That's, that's good. <clears throat> okay. So when there's a conflict of instruction, it, it depends. Sure, depends on the character of the of the of the authority level, of whether a a ungodly father and you know and a, and a uh, converted child it depends on you know, what what the situation is there. Sure, that's that's right. Uh, but there's a there's a hierarchy of of um, authority that we have to find our place in. In our lives, what about um, if they thought about the hierarchy of authority in the Godhead? We have God all by itself yeah, as, as one entity there, and God is one. Sure, um, is there a hierarchy there? The first example of authority: who's top in the in the Trinity? The God the Father. Who's next? Son. Son, and who's next? Oh, the Holy Spirit's left over here. Okay? So, um, um, Jesus talked about this in, well, let's just uh, read, read a verse from Revelation first. So, God's atop, um, but Jesus administrates the final judgment. So, this seemed to swap places at some point. Revelation 4.11 says, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. And then in Ephesians 1, 20 and 21, speaking about God's mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. So Jesus gets to be, gets the highest place in the world to come as well, uh, which seems like God somehow honors Jesus for, for uh, uh, doing the salvation for the for, for creation, and Jesus gets the highest place. But it doesn't really make that much difference to us in our life day by day. Um, they're so far out there, whether one's this higher or lower doesn't really matter to us. Um, but it's interesting that the Bible does talk a bit about about uh, who's. Who's in charge of who's? Jesus said himself while he was on the earth during that part of his existence, I can of my own self do nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of the Father which hath sent, which hath sent me. And he also said, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. So Jesus said, God, The Father is in charge of me. I just say whatever he does, and then the Holy Spirit will say whatever I said. So that's how the hierarchy seemed to be in the um, 
at least before the ascension. I don't know, you know when, when the rearrangement would be if, if there were. So the first time authority was violated that we have record of was before creation, probably, uh, when Satan rebelled against God. <clears throat> so God has... Uh, I thought about the definition of authority. Uh, and one definition that I found was the ability to enforce rules. Well, what does enforce rules mean? I, I, in my mind, enforce rules mean means that you have the power to make things happen a certain way. That means you would correct the situation. But God didn't do that with Satan. He didn't fix Satan and get him back up into his position like he was was before. But what he did do, he had the ability to, um, to bring a punishment or a result for the disobedience. So he threw him out of heaven. <clears throat> In the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve disobeyed God. And God didn't fix them. He threw them out of the garden. He told them you have to leave. And, and the whole plan of salvation um, was set into motion. So authorities aren't necessarily um, in place to keep everything correct, but to give a cause and effect. Uh, for for infractions. And God has given, Satan had a choice. God's given us choice. We can choose to disobey. And God doesn't drag us in line. God doesn't make us do what he wants us to do. God allows us to be disobedient. But he has the authority and does uh, give consequences for disobedience. In uh, Judges, there was a time when there wasn't really a judge and it's described as there was no king in Israel and every man did that which was right in his own eyes and some horrible things happened. Um, a story that one lady got chopped up in little pieces and sent out across Israel. Um, there was a story of the uh, um, of immorality and violence. <clears throat> but there was no king in Israel. There was anarchy. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Um, that's not God's plan for humanity. <clears throat> I have several different different fields of of uh, authority I want to talk about this morning. Um, as God, the government, church, family, and employment. So God's at the top. I put it at the top. And all authority comes from God. Just like the little child running out to tell his siblings to come in for supper. The authority that he has, the message he's carrying is not from his own authority, but it's from probably the parent's authority that he's carrying. So uh, the authority source for all these structures are is from God. Um, let's talk a bit about, uh, I guess I read the verses about uh, God's authority, that God created all things, the Godhead, Jesus particular perhaps, uh, created all things, and so therefore it's, he, it belongs to him, the whole creation of the universe belongs to God, and he has automatic authority over 
everything that we can find out about. Uh, government, though, was not an original, uh, eternal being. <clears throat> what is the source of the government's authority? Uh, this country was founded on rebellion. Uh, and their Declaration of Independence is a very foolish document uh, that sounds like a couple of little spoiled children uh, making noise and, you know, throwing a fit. So it says things like, uh, whenever you don't like your government, it is your duty and right to change it. Just say, you're not my boss anymore. That's the modern English version of it. And it says also that governments are instituted among men. That was to, uh, uh, for the reason of pro- uh, producing the pursuit of happiness. Governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. No one believes that, that I've ever come across. The U.S. government doesn't believe that. There was a great big civil war contesting that point that the southern states that withdrew didn't want the northern federal government to be in charge of them anymore. And guess what the federal government says? Oh, sure. So if you don't like the government the government you're under, you can, let's see, uh, derive their just powers from the consent of the governed. Sure. No, they didn't say that, did they? <clears throat> so no one believes that. Somehow it got put in there. Governments derive their just powers from the consent of the governed. Uh, that's not true in this country, and it's not true from a biblical description of governments either. Um, Abraham Lincoln, in his Gettysburg Address, maybe some of you have it memorized, um, he talks about that government of the people, by the people, and for the people should not perish from the earth. Um, again, the government is not controlled, is not, um, government is not of the people, by the people, or for the people. It's government. Um, yeah. So, a legitimate government is whichever one you find yourself under. <clears throat> um, it's a biblical example. Daniel lived under at least six governments, and probably more, because the Bible doesn't necessarily give us the whole life um, or government history in Daniel's life. But no, he was—he grew up under, well, not he grew up under, but he was under Jehoiakim, king of Judah. And then that was the king that uh, Jeremiah came to and read off a scroll, and he would take page by page and burn it in, a, in, the, in his, little camp, his little fire there in the palace. <clears throat> so Daniel was under him. Um, and he was put into kingship of Israel by the king of Egypt. He wasn't even, Israel hadn't elected him. He was, uh, he was put in place as a puppet king of Egypt. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar came and uh, got control of Palestine. <clears throat> and Daniel went to Babylon with Nebuchadnezzar's troops. And Nebuchadnezzar put somebody else in, in kingship in Israel. And they didn't behave, so he put somebody else in. They didn't behave, he put somebody else in. 
Uh, so uh, Babylon was controlling the, the government of the uh, Israelites for many years. So Jehoiakim, Nebuchadnezzar, the conqueror. And then in Babylon, later, when Nebuchadnezzar was eating grass for seven years or so, there must have been another government put in place. We don't know much about that one. Um, and then Belshazzar, who had the handwriting on the wall, uh, was was a an interim uh, interim king while the real king was off fighting a war. That's how I understand the history there. <clears throat> and then Darius and then Cyrus uh, and Daniel was in a place of position under all those governments. And they were all legitimate governments because whatever government is in place is the real one. Sometimes it's hard to tell. If there's a, during the Civil War, for example, in this country, so the North and the South would move back and forth across the states, and sometimes the North was in charge, sometimes the South was in charge, uh, and you know, whoever's in charge is in charge, and whoever gets chased out isn't in charge. Governments can change for all kinds of reasons. Now, we think governments get voted in, but I suppose most governments throughout history weren't voted in. They were either captured by war, like in this case, in Daniel's case, or somebody uh, assassinated the king, stuck a dagger in his tummy, or, you know, different ways you can do that. Uh, governments, that, you know, the, the democratic process that we've, this country values so highly is not normal. <clears throat> and especially back when the New Testament was written, when we have all the instructions of the apostles about how to treat governments and pray for governments and obey governments, the Roman government was a conquering power over Israel, and their government was a makes our government look like child's play. If you read, read Roman history, uh, so and so killed so and so and poisoned so and so, and you know they our debates that are televised these days are, are just tame. All they're doing is talking to each other; they're not murdering each other. <clears throat> and many governments have done that. So whether whether uh, somebody assassinates the king or the president and is now president instead, well, they're just as legitimate as the one before. Uh, that's how God describes it in the, in the Bible. And God even uh, gives examples of Nebuchadnezzar uh, that through the through the prophets, God said. He wants Nebuchadnezzar to be in charge of Israel for this time. And then later, somebody will go and kick out Nebuchadnezzar. Um, they'll take turns, and God will arrange the governments of the country um, in, you know, in turn. <clears throat> um, and they weren't being voted in, but they were being violently overthrown uh, with much terror and, uh, yeah, very, very harshly. In Daniel 4, 25 last part of the verse, uh, Daniel is talking, uh, talking to Nebuchadnezzar about that dream he had about the tree, I think it was. It says, Till thou know that the Most High God, the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men and giveth it to whomsoever he will. Jesus talked to Pilate and Pilate said, Don't you know I could you know, have you crucified or not? Uh, don't, why don't you defend yourself? And Jesus says, You have no idea. It's described as, Thou couldst have no power at all against me except it were given thee from above. So he says that 
you are in your place of authority and uh, because God put you here. Not because you um, wiggled your way through the political field. Obviously, he did, sure. Uh, but the authority, the power that Pilate had over Jesus was, Jesus said, is from God. Uh, aside from all the finiglings that politicians have done. Once they have power, it is God's power that they, that they receive from him. So, when should we disobey the government? It's not always clear when, when to disobey the government. It's not always clear what the government's saying in the last couple of years. <clears throat> uh, I always kind of, <laughs> maybe this wasn't a good idea, but I thought, if half the state legislature says one thing and half says the other thing, I can kind of choose. <laughs> That's where this came in. So uh, perhaps that wasn't the best approach. I don't know. <clears throat> but whatever laws are enforced with uh, penalties are obviously the laws. And whatever laws aren't enforced with penalties aren't the laws. And there are laws on the state books across this country that are ridiculous. And nobody bothers about them at all. Um, I think, for example, in, the law, in Michigan, there's a law that if a woman buys a hat, the husband has to try it on first or something like that. It's a, um, so nobody, nobody worries about laws like that. So um, it's easier to get a law into place than to take it back out again. So they just ignore it, begin to ignore laws, which makes it difficult. If you are uh, building a house, building a prop, building a building, Building permits can be sticky. Uh, things get grandfathered in. If part of the house was there for so many years and it gets this rule, um, up in Bethel, we had a neighbor that built a large block house. But he was, uh, he was remodeling because there was a little wooden structure on the property and he supposedly left one wall standing. Now he has a big two-story block house. I don't know where that wall is, but um, I think it's on the second story somewhere. <laughs> he, explained it, he explained it to me once. So, uh, how, do we, how do we deal with government rules? It's not always clear how we should deal with government rules. Um, I guess we just take each situation individually and not, uh, yeah, and, and leave a godly impression on whoever we're working with. Having a belligerent attitude toward, towards officials is usually not the best way. Even if you have to, like the apostles did, contradict them, um, they weren't, weren't being sassy. The last couple of years, churches have been tested about how they will obey or disobey government rules when they were uh, being shut down. You know, groups bigger than so, so many people. Um, some churches decide they're just going to have church at somebody's farm, um, that was illegal. I, I think it was. I never remember the rules right. Uh, hopefully that's all in the past now. Uh, you know, wh- when do you start saying, okay, the government is now in conflict with God's principles somehow? And there's no schedule in the Bible uh, when, how often you must have church. Um, I think most churches in the New Testament met oftener than every six months. Didn't have like, you know, six-month gaps. Uh, so when, when do you decide 
that this is now a biblical principle that's being being pushed. I don't know, actually. You have to take each situation at a time. And again, be you have to be willing then to take consequences. Uh, to say it's worth it, this it's worth it to me to follow this perceived principle, even if so and so and so happens. Building codes, compulsory school attendance, child labor laws, um, those get kind of um, sticky. But we have a lot to be thankful for in this country uh, as far as living under the government that we have. The Roman government was much, much, much worse. Going for a walk down the street, there's no policeman that will make you carry his backpack for a mile. <clears throat> and if you don't, he'll beat, he'll beat you up, you know, or, or whatever. We don't, we don't have that here. Okay, let's talk about um, authority in churches. This topic varies widely, um, I mean, how, how people will, will describe it. Um, so I'm just going to read Bible verses. Is that good? We all believe the Bible here? Hopefully. Okay. <clears throat> In Acts, let's put, I'll pick out various verses talking about, about um, church leadership. And when they, it was Paul and Barnabas, had ordained them elders in every church and had prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. Here we had church leaders going around installing other church leaders in different congregations. Uh, Titus, in Titus 1.5, Paul is talking to Titus, and he says, For this cause left I thee in Crete, that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting, and ordain elders in every city as I had appointed thee. Uh, one thing that comes, uh, comes out here is that he is supposed to set in order the things that are wanting, which means that he was supposed to make other people do certain things. He was supposed to give instructions that are, should be, were supposed to be followed. In First Thessalonians 5, 12, and 13, uh, Paul's talking here. And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you. To know means to notice or acknowledge or uh, recognize them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. What does it mean for someone to be over somebody else? Most anyone can exhort somebody else. Probably you know, a sibling can exhort another sibling. may not be well received. But if somebody is over somebody else, that's a, a uh, authority structure difference. Hebrews 13, 7. Remember them which have the rule over you. That sounds a little stronger. Who have spoken unto you the word of God, word of God, 
whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation. Same chapter, verse 17, Hebrews 13, 17. Obey them that have the rule over you. Still talking about church leaders. And submit yourselves. And he gives some reasons why. For they watch for your souls as they that must give account. That they may do it with joy and not with grief. For that is unprofitable for you. If they have to give account with grief, that would be unprofitable for you. First Peter 5, 1 Peter 5.1 The elders which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. So instructions to the elders. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof. Um, according to Strong's Greek lexicon there, it talks about that taking the oversight thereof means to look diligently or, over, or um, uh, like watch carefully. <clears throat> and then in a couple of verses, another verse down, First Peter 5, I was reading about taking the oversight thereof. We can all take a big breath. Neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being examples to the flock. So, they're just supposed to be examples to follow and not be bossy. Neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being examples to the flock. So they're supposed to... Um, this is tongue-in-cheek, okay? They're supposed to live, live so that we can see how to live. We can just, like, copy them. And that's as far as their influence goes. Um, we'll correct that statement here shortly here. <clears throat> and when the chief shepherd shall appear, talking to the, talking to the uh, elders, elders again, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. Uh, when the chief shepherd, the chief shepherd probably being in relation to, uh, say, said as a, the non-chief shepherds would be the uh, under-shepherds, would it refer to the leaders, I believe, here? And then next verse down. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you is subject one to another. Quite a democracy here. All of you is subject one to another. So there is no... How do you obey that way? How do you, who do you obey? Well, I guess you have to obey him today and you obey him tomorrow. <clears throat> And be clothed with humility. Uh, I think uh, Ethan read this verse this morning. For God resists the proud and giveth grace to the humble. So let's go back to Strong's Concordance. Uh, hopefully that is a reliable source because I base a lot of um, my understanding on it. On it. In 1 Peter 5, 3, where it says, Neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being in samples to the flock. The being lords um, is a really rough word. <clears throat> it's used four times in the New Testament, according to Strong's. And it's used in places as when Jesus was talking, the disciples wanted to be in charge of each other in the new kingdom. Um, and Jesus was saying in Matthew twenty twenty five. 
But Jesus called unto them and said, Ye know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them. That's the same Greek word that the church leaders are not supposed to do. They're not supposed to be like the Gentiles. And Jesus told his disciples that you don't do this like the Gentiles do. That's not what we're talking about. Um, this isn't how the Christian church is supposed to work. Not like, like the Gentiles do. The Gentiles exercise dominion dominion over other Gentiles. In Mark 10, um, again, same situation. The disciples were fussing about who's going to be on top. And Jesus said, Do you know that they which are accounted to rule over the Gentiles exercise lordship over them? Again, the same uh, word. This is a Gentile thing. It's not a, not a Christian church thing. Um, it's how governments get replaced. Nebuchadnezzar comes and chases out, you know, um, the government that's in Israel, and now he's in charge. Putin comes and chases out Zelensky, and I, now Putin's in charge, uh, perhaps. Um, and how that will turn out. And then the, the last time it's used in the New Testament is in Acts, <clears throat> where the situation kind of helps to explain what type of word this is that the church leadership are not supposed to be like. So, there was a um, some ex, uh, exorcists and there was a man called Sceva and he had a family of boys, at least seven of them, and they wanted to cast out some evil spirits like the apostles were doing, I suppose. They were. So they went to somebody that had some spiritual problems and he said they commanded the spirit to get out of him in the name of uh, Jesus whom Paul preaches and the man who had the evil spirit began to respond back to them and he said Paul I know Jesus I know but who are you and then in verse uh, 16 of Acts 19 Acts nineteen sixteen, and the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them and overcame them and prevailed against them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. And the overcame part is the same word that the church leaders are not supposed to be like. So <clears throat> that gives the flavor of, of um, neither as being lords over God's heritage uh, to not handle the congregation roughly. <clears throat> Um, this, this record of one church leader in the Bible that was handling the church roughly. Uh, in 3 John chapter 1, verse 9 and 10, John is saying he'd like to come see the church, but Diotrephes has him making trouble. And I wrote unto the church, but Diotrephes, who loveth to have the preeminence among them, receiveth us not. Wherefore, if I come, I will remember his deeds which he doeth, praying against us with malicious words, and not content therewith, neither doth he himself receive the brethren, and forbiddeth them that would, and casteth them out of the church. Here was someone who was definitely misusing his authority. Uh, he was probably a legitimate leader of the church, but he wasn't behaving. He was, he was not using his authority as uh, in a godly manner. He was doing this exercising lordship thing in the church and throwing his weight around 
in, in, um, in political ways. Um, saying that you know, you're you're like you're my club, and whoever doesn't agree with me can't be can't be with us. Uh, and he was doing it violently. Um, there was a modern example of this, many modern examples, I suppose. Um, in 2013, in Ohio, there was an incident um, that was astonishing. There's a some excerpts from some news articles, February 8th. February 8, 2013, um, Burkholz, Ohio. 16 individuals were sentenced today for hate crimes involving attacks against Amish residents in Ohio. Some carried out by the victim's children and the group's leader received a 15-year prison term. In response to a religious dispute among members of the Amish community, Samuel Mullet Sr., the 66-year-old bishop of the Amish congregation in Burkholz, Ohio, directed his followers to forcibly cut the hair and beards of other members of the Amish faith. Male and female victims, some elderly, were held against their will in their homes while scissors and horse shears were used to cut their hair and beards. Head and facial hair is religiously symbolic to the Amish. Some of the male victims had been growing their beards for decades. During the trial, prosecutors argued that Mullet believed he was above the law and kept tight control over his followers with a kind of cult-like domination. Among other things, he censored their mail and imposed punishments on adults, such as paddling and confinement to chicken coops. Sam Mullet didn't like to be crossed, he explained, and he was very good at manipulating his followers. Uh, I think Mr. Mullet is maybe just getting out of jail now. He was under, um, another article said that he was afraid he would get COVID in prison. So they let him, he appealed and he uh, he was under house arrest for the last part of his sentence. So I don't know if he's still there or not. Uh, I I believe that would be an example of um, someone like Diosthenes who loves to have the preeminence and was being more controlling than the scripture allows. Uh, the, the, the New Testament does teach what to do with, with, um, with um, church members that aren't, don't cooperate. Um, and it doesn't mention putting them in chicken coops. Um, it says to Treat them as you would someone in town. You unbrotherhood them. Uh, you just acknowledge that they're they're not part of our group because they're not following the Bible. Uh, and again, we need to be careful about what infractions we use to validate that process. But that's not the discussion this morning here. <clears throat> So back to church leaders, um, doing it the right way. How can, how can you obey someone that's over you if they're not allowed to tell you what to do? Just a little logic question there. Uh, I know we get uncomfortable maybe uh, about the church leadership, how structured it should be. Um, 
we like the democratic process. But that's not found here that I can find. If you can find it, please let me know. Um, There is a very structured description given of church leadership and church function. Um, It also says that bishops and deacons should practice in their family setting before they get trained in their family setting before they transfer to a church setting. They must rule their own uh, children and households well, having their children in subjection under, under them. <clears throat> uh, and hopefully you don't rule your family in a democratic process. Hopefully, hopefully parents are, are exerting their authority as, as God describes. Um, I do appreciate the leadership here in that they um, ask lots of questions and get lots of feedback and then make a decision. Um, I think that's, that's appropriate. But God seems to be holding the leadership responsible for how the church does, how the church acts. Because they're going to be giving account at some point. So I think we need to, in our minds, give them room to be obeyed, you know, at some, at some, at some level that we talks about um, obeying. How can you obey someone that isn't allowed to tell you what to do? Okay, let's talk about uh, parents yet. So the big question is, do children obey their parents or do parents obey their children? And it happens both ways. There's a, uh, in the default standard version, as of a week ago or so, Ephesians 6, 1 reads something like, children control your parents, ignoring the Lord, for this is fun. That's how it happens, normal and naturally, uh, often. And that is not how the Bible describes family life. <clears throat> the Bible gives us some examples of parents that were like this. Uh, Samson, Judges 14, 2 and 3, and he, Samson, came up and told his father and mother, and said, I have seen a woman in Timnath of the daughters of the Philistines. Now therefore get her for me to wife. Then his father and his mother said unto him, Is there never a woman among the daughters of thy brethren or among all my people that thou goest to take a wife of the uncircumcised Philistines? And Samson said unto his father, Get her for me, for she pleaseth me well. And guess what? He did. In their culture, the father was involved in arranging the marriage. Uh, Family structure has changed, oh, like exponentially in the last 150 years or so, or more than that maybe. Um, But throughout the Old Testament, parents were actually in charge of their children. And that's how the culture was. Uh, Parents owned their children in in their culture. They could sell them, for example, if they needed money. You could sell Johnny, 
You could sell Sally, um, either permanently or temporarily, um, if you were in debt. When the widow came to the Elijah, Elisha, um, her two boys were going to be sold to pay debts. And in their culture, parents had the had the uh, uh, ownership of their children. And therefore, if you own something, you are in control of it. Um, we would cringe at that a bit nowadays. But I, I suppose we're erring in the other ditch. <clears throat> um, yeah. In First uh, Kings one five to six, talks about a son of David. That uh, Adonijah said, I will be king. And he prepared him chariots and horsemen and 50 men to run before him. And it describes a little real reason why this could happen. It said his father, David, had not displeased him at any time saying, why hast thou done so? So Samson's parents and David uh, were not like much of the culture, it seems like. <clears throat> uh, they had spoiled children. the way Deuteronomy describes it in the law, if a man have a stubborn and rebellious son, which will not obey the voice of his father or his voice of his mother, and that when they have chastened him, will not hearken unto them, then shall, that, then shall his father and his mother lay hold on him and bring him out to the elders of his city under the gate of his place, and they shall say unto the elders of the city, This our son is stubborn and rebellious, he will not obey our voice, he is a glutton and a drunkard, and all the men of the city shall stone him with stones, and he die. So shall they put evil away from among you, and all Israel shall hear and fear. So how old does the son have to be before he becomes a glutton and a drunkard? This probably isn't a five-year-old, or even a ten-year-old. This is probably an adult son, what we, what we would call an adult son. And he's not obeying his parents. And after being chastened, he's doesn't obey his parents. That situation seems a little foreign to me. <clears throat> but that's how the law of Moses was written, how the Mosaic law under God's instruction was written. That's why I think we may be, we're maybe in the other ditch. <clears throat> uh, when, in your family, you don't have to say anything out loud, when in your family our children assume to be making their own decisions. I'm sure there's a process, hopefully. Um, In our family, it was 21. In your family, it might be 13. I don't know what what it it is. Um, But again, I think we're erring on the the opposite side of the ditch uh, in our culture that, and it's something we needed to, we should take up set up and take notice of um, the results of young children being uncon- you know, uncontrollable or you know, teenagers making their own decisions uh, is, is, is not, not the way God describes it.
in Proverbs <clears throat> talks about child training. The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself bringeth his mother to shame. Proverbs twenty nine seventeen: Correct thy son, and he shall give thee rest. Yea, he shall give delight unto thy soul. Whenever children aren't able to come to rest, I'm sure there's episodes. There are noisy episodes. Um, but whenever a child isn't able to come to rest under the inst- instruction and, and authority of their parents, I think that's what it's talking about here, then the job's not finished yet. Yea, he shall give delight unto thy soul. There are many children that don't give delight to their parents' souls because they have not been brought to a place of rest. <clears throat> and how to do that, it varies with your children's personality. Uh, I'm not here to give a how-to talk. I'm just saying this is God's standard. Uh, I, know I haven't lived up to it. This is a, 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 a weak spot. Um, it's very easy to neglect. <clears throat> I'm just telling you about what God says. <laughs> okay. Proverbs 22.6, a famous verse about training up a child. Um, and often I've heard people try to wiggle out of this one. It says, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. And I've heard people say, well, you know, children grow up, they make their own decisions. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. I think our problem is in the first part of the verse. How many Israelites do you think defected to uh, Philistia? How many Israelites decided they went to become Assyrians instead? Now, they had their idol-worshipping times, but Israel had an extremely strong culture that was very, very structured uh, and Israelites were Israelites, and they had ways of knowing they were Israelites. <clears throat> and even now, you have very close Jewish communities in the different different cities in America, in New York City, for example. Uh, how many of you have house trained a dog? Okay. How's it going for you? <laughs> Are you finished? Okay. How many how many accidents are okay for a house trained dog? If it was in my house, none. <laughs> um, to train horticulturists use. Um, arborists, horticulturists use training. They train bushes into fantastic shapes. What you have to do to train a bush, I think, is to make the bush take a certain shape and not allow it to take any other shape at all at any time. Or else the bush won't grow in that shape. I think that's the way it is. So, training means more than telling somebody something. It means you get into a place where they automatically do things without thinking about it. Then they're trained. Otherwise, they're not. 
So in my 20 years ago, uh, I trained two horses to ride. Um, nothing fancy, I just wanted them to ride. Um, and they weren't that well trained because they didn't always do what I told them, what I wanted to. <clears throat> but I was reading a set of horse training books where Mr. Beery, if you ever heard, heard of Beery's horse training method, had a, this was back in the like, oh, 1900, early 1900s, um, described how he trained his horse. And he would ride through town back then. They were all horse and buggies in the street. No, no, car, no cars were there yet. And he would ride without a horse, without a bridle or reins. He would drive, drive his buggy down the road in, in, the, in the city and guide the horse with his riding whip. So he'd hold the whip over the horse's head and point it this way and that way. And the horse would travel this way and that way. Um, and he would speed it up, slow it down, guide it. And it was um, extremely well managed. <clears throat> he would, he was uh, told that you can't drive a horse like that in town. It's dangerous. So he says, well, watch. They go clipping down the street at a fast trot and he puts the whip up, which means stop. And the horse goes, skid, 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 leaving the sparks on the, on the pavement. You think, I can't control my horse? So that horse was trained. It automatically responded to the signals that were given. Um, and if there was some hesitation, he would wrap the lash around his neck and he would uh, decide to, it was better to do what he said. Uh, so what I'm saying is, that's where I'm falling down over the, in our, in our, our family. I'm not training my children. I scold them. I nag at them. I give suggestions. But guess what? How, how long does it take for a child to be trained not to touch the hot stove, for example? How many times does a child need to get blisters on his fingers before he stops touching the stove? Like 10? So I, I think we've gone way in the other end of the ditch. Um, and our culture woo, helps us along tremendously. Children are supposed to be able to explore possibilities. That's not what God says. A child left to himself bringeth his mother to shame. So... I think the Bible's true when it says train up a child in the way he should go and when he's old he will not depart from it. But it's the training part that that's the problem. That's very difficult to do. Um, so I'm not giving a how-to talk either. But I believe that's God's that's what God means there. That it's the training part that we don't really have a grasp on. How do we train a child? There's a training process, but when the training process is finished, like with the horse, there are small corrections here and there, and the horse just the training the training just run, runs on 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 autopilot with small corrections uh, after the horse is trained, or after your dog is potty trained or whatever house trained. I know people aren't people aren't horses, but if you look at strong. Strong structured cultures. What's the retention rate of Muslims, for example? 
or the Hasidic Jews in New York City. I don't know for sure. But I think it's really high. Over has been really high over the years. <clears throat> so what that means is that well, I, I got a lot of my my um, affirmation for child training from these horses I interacted with. Uh, and it, it matches with what the Bible says, I think, too. That if the child ever does something that was their choice, it's probably not a good idea. How can you train something that ha- is moving itself around? So, if you're, you're riding a horse and you're trained to... Uh, be neck reined. That means like just, you just lay, lay the reins against the side of his neck instead of pulling the bit. You just lay, lay the rein against the side of the neck and you're supposed to move away from it. So you're riding along and you, wanna, you come to a Y in the trail and you turn this way to the left and the horse wants to go to the right and so the, you say, oh, okay, well, that's, good. That's, that's, a nice, that's a nice place too. It has nice scenery there and, and nice, nice um, flowers and bushes along the road. I'll, I'll go that way. You've just untrained your horse. And you have to work hard to undo that bad mistake you just did. You've just, you've just done. So, uh, if the horse ever does something because it wanted to, you're shooting yourself in the foot. That sounds really, really harsh when applied to children. But guess what? How else can you train something without forming it in that that shape? If you if if a child is by practice automatically does the right things day after day after day, after ten years of it, they won't even think about something else. Again, this is idealistic, but I think that's the goal that we're, we're aiming towards. Uh, <clears throat> I often see children, let's say in town, you know, at an ice cream shop. I don't, I don't often go to ice cream shop, sorry. What I meant is I see children uh, being asked to make decisions. So a five-year-old goes to an ice cream shop and the mom says, well, what flavor do you want? And the child doesn't know what flavor they want. And so the mom pesters the little child to make a choice. And the child doesn't know what, what they want. So they both get upset and the ice cream treat, you know, isn't very happy after all. It happens over and over and over again. And it's very, very easy to have it happen in our homes too. Um, if you always give instructions and respond to requests, sure. If your um, son asks for a fish, you don't give him a serpent or an egg. You know, they're asking asking for things, sure. But what if we wouldn't ask our children to make decisions? How would that look differently? You know, 
What pants do you want to wear today? What dress do you want to wear today? Maybe they shouldn't be making those decisions. Maybe you should lay out the clothes for them. And they automatically just wear that. Uh, what to eat? When to go to bed? When to get up? Uh, I think a lot of frustration will be taken out of our, 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 our homes if we could kind of move toward that, that way. Um, yeah, children don't know what to eat. They have no idea what to wear. They have no idea whether it's good to go outside and play now or not. Uh, now, obviously, if, if a children, if a child asks something, asks for something, you can say, maybe, yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe it works out, maybe not. But we, I don't think we should be asking our children what to do. We should be God, telling them what to do. <clears throat> All right, quickly, let's go on to uh, employer-employee relationships. Here again, the Bible is really, really, really rough on people. Um, it's not like our culture at all. So is this, is the, the, the Bible's description, New Testament verses about how servants should obey and all that, is that just a cultural thing? Or is it a godly principle? Well, servants be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling in singleness of heart as unto Christ doesn't say because that's how the neighbors do it. Um, it talks about how um, servants doing a good job to their masters will receive reward from God. Whether even if the master never never says anything about it. So working at your job, working at uh, underemployment, underemployment, um, working to God rather than working for for uh, praise of the employer is is the point here. And Jesus goes even further. I think it's pretty far. When in Luke he's describing a servant that was plowing out in the field, and he says, "How many, who, who of you would call the servant in out of the field and say?" Time, time for supper. You're dismissed. Oh no, you don't do that. What you do is you tell him, you go and get my supper ready and give me my food while you watch and drool. And then, oh, you didn't have to say it that way. But he said, you come and serve me. And after I'm all done, then you can go and eat supper. That's what he said. And then he said, Jesus said, do you think that master will thank the servant for doing all that, working all day long and coming in and feeding me? And the master will say, thank you very much. I appreciate your being patient with your food. Jesus said, no, he won't even say anything about it. That's just normal, expected. There's nothing special about that at all. And Jesus said, that's how you should be. That is not American culture. But that's what Jesus said. 
So I'm not really good at all this. But that's what Jesus said. He said, let me read the King James Version here. Doth he thank that servant because he did the things that were commanded him? I trow not. So likewise, ye, when ye have done all those things which were commanded you, say to yourselves, we are unprofitable servants. We have done that which was our duty to do. And as children growing up, part of the training is supposed to be having a sense of accomplishment in doing what you're told is like the highest reward you can get. It's a better reward than two cookies or a handful of M&M's. But knowing that you have done what you're supposed to do is the highest reward. That's what the training should be instilling in the child's mind so that when they get old, that is the goal. That is the, the uh, highest reward in a person's mind. So if I'm at work, whether the boss says, oh, thanks, that was a good job you did, or not, or whether he says, really, it took you an hour. Either way, it doesn't really matter. It might matter to your paycheck, but as far as God's concerned, if you did your best and followed direction as well as you could, both responses are equal. That's not natural either. But it's something we should we should uh, help our children to accept that the highest reward for a job well done is the knowledge of the job well done, knowing that you did your best for God. And then Peter even goes further yet. If the boss beats you up, it's okay. He says that in um, modern English. Because getting beat up for doing right is better than getting beat up for doing wrong. Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear. Not only to the good and gentle, but also to the froward. Froward means crooked, perverse. For this is thankworthy if a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. For what glory is it when you are buffeted? That means hit. For your faults, you take it patiently. But if when you do well and suffer for it, you take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. So our own rights are pretty important to us. I'm saying us, yeah. Our culture is way, way different than this. And there may be some positives in that. Um, I'm not hankering for the Roman era. Um, but I think the attitude, the attitude of of working for a job well done, that you know in your own heart that it was a job well done, and helping our children acquire that value by not paying them for working, for example. Um, if you, if a child knows that he will pick up the toys and then get a cookie for it, instead of picking up the toys because that's the right thing to do, um, I think that plants different seeds in their minds.
the Bible has a lot of other things to say about uh, employers as well. Be nice to your to your uh, employees. Um, so this isn't a balanced presentation. Um, there are a lot of other truths that you can you can look up yourself, um, but some things that come under the heading of authority, how authority works, uh, and that authority is God given and is supposed to be used in the God-given way. Let's pray. Thank you, God, that you are the ultimate perfect authority. And God, as we look at our lives and see the imperfectness in our own hearts, in our own ways of doing things, and the influences of our culture, I just pray that we would know how to uh, make amends and recognize that you are the giver of of, uh, of um, the laws that you have put into place and that your way is best, even if it seems really strange to us. I pray, God, for our families, our children growing up. Lord, I pray that they could be guided and trained in ways that help them to value your principles and your righteousness over uh, rewards that the earth the, uh, that the world can give them. Help us, Lord, to accept your word at face value and to learn how we can arrange our lives around it um, and not try to explain things away. Just bless us as we go from here. We can become more like you in whatever uh, situation in life we have. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.